Philippians, if you will, chapter 2. We've been teaching through this book uh, that is about joy and right thinking are the two big themes. And like I said, some of you weather people need to work on the right thinking. Us that are looking forward to spring, we're we're in joy. We're in just joy mode right now. Uh, That's what the book is about, joy and right thinking. And so this entire letter is a, a way for Paul to write back to this church that he loves And here's what he's going to tell them. Don't worry about me. Writing to this people, he's in prison. He's like, don't worry about me. I'm fine. I have joy. I'm thinking correctly. Things are good on my end. And now in this book, we're going to start to transition. So the first chapter, he spent a lot of time talking about him and his circumstances and what's going on in his life. Now in chapter 2, he's going to focus his attention to them just a little bit. Now, if you've, if you've paid attention to Philippians or if you've been reading, which I encourage you to read on your own, you'll see that the tone of this letter of Philippians is different than many of other, Paul's, of other of Paul's letters in the Bible. I mean, if you read Corinthians, that church is jacked up. And, and Paul writes them as a jacked up church and says, we got some things to work on. The attitude of Philippians, it's much different. This is a church that Paul loves It's a church that he thinks very highly of. They're doing great things. But because Paul knows that they're a healthy church, that they're passionate, that they're doing ministry, they're supporting him, they're sending out missionaries, because he knows they're passionate and they're a healthy church, he knows that there's something that is lurking in the shadows ready to break them up. And that is disunity. And so Paul's going to address them with this. No, he's not going to come down hard on them because nothing's happened yet. But Paul knows that any healthy church, any healthy organization, any healthy family is prone at all times to this little thing called disunity. It is constantly lurking. And that's what he's going to address today. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, here's what he says. If there's any encouragement in Christ... Any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Let's pray together. God, as we look at your text this morning, may you, um, through the Holy Spirit, shine light into what this text means that we may learn about you, that we may learn, learn more about each other. And I pray through this text that you will continue to knit us together in unity. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So this section of Philippians chapter 2, these first two verses, it is a plea for unity because Paul has been around and he has seen churches be torn apart by disunity. 1 Corinthians, here's what he says to uh, the church in Corinth. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as non-believers. Right into this group, this church. I can't address you as spiritual people, but I'm going to address you as non-believers, your infants in Christ, because of your disunity. That's the tone he's going to take in 1 Corinthians. Later in 1 Corinthians, he'll say, do you need me to come to your church with a rod? Meaning, we're going to do this. In Corinthians, he'll talk about division 
And there's division all among the church in, in Corinth. They're dividing around leaders, some like Paul, some like Apollos, some like this leader. They're dividing around religious liberty. Some of them think you can go eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols. Some of you don't, and you have team meat, team no meat. They're at each other's throats. Paul has seen churches who are disunified, who have let little seeds come in and tear them apart. And he's writing to Philippians to tell them, be careful, because he knows they're a healthy church. If you read the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, chapter 14, chapter 15, Paul addresses for three whole sections, he addresses unity in the church because the church in Rome was being pulled apart by disunity. So he'll tell them in Romans Outdo one another in affection and love. Like you want to compete, church? Okay, here's a competition. Outdo one another in love and affection. Let's compete for that. That's what he will tell them. He'll say this, submit to your leaders. He'll tell them that love is the fulfillment of the law. Okay, you Roman church who think that you're doing so well because you know so much. You want to fulfill the law like you want to do what God wants? Love each other. That's what he'll tell them. In Romans, he'll tell them, don't pass judgment. Don't cause others to stumble. Paul has seen disunity tear apart churches. So when he's writing in prison to this church he loves, the first thing that he's going to address with them is this issue. And he's going to caution them because he knows that disunity is always lurking. Hill City Church, um, I don't fear very much for us, but I do always have an underlying fear of disunity. Now, I want that to be a healthy fear. Like, I, don't lay, I don't lay awake in bed at night like, <gasps> but there's always this tension, there's always this angst, this, this fear that disunity would creep in. Picking teams and us versus them mentality. Hill City Church, disunity is always lurking. It's hidden in the shadows. We don't see it, but it is always there. Every healthy church, every single healthy church, disunity is ready to strike. It's a constant temptation. And you're like, well, why are you saying healthy churches? Like, shouldn't that be unhealthy churches? They have disunity. Well, yeah, but here's why healthy churches are prone to it. Because healthy churches have, are, are on a mission, and they're excited about something. Healthy churches have passionate people in them. That's why they're healthy. That's why they're getting things done. But here's the tension is passionate people often become passionate about different things that sometimes become against one another, disunity. So here's what we can't do as, as a new church. We can't, we can't say, oh, disunity. I mean, that's for those churches that have been around for a long time. We can't be under the illusion that disunity could not creep into our young church and break us up. And so that's what Paul's going to go after. So he says, if, back in verse 1, there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, if there's participation in the Spirit, if there's affection, if there's sympathy. Now in the Greek, which I don't know a ton of Greek, well, I don't know any Greek, I'll just, I, just, I just look at smart people that do, um, that word if could also be translated because. Because 
you have encouragement in Christ, because you have comfort and love from Christ, because you have participation in the Spirit, because the Holy Spirit lives in you, because you have the affection of Christ, it can be translated because. It'd be similar to this, parents. You could sit your kids down, and let's say they started acting in a way that didn't please you. There's two ways to handle that. One, you just get a cane and beat them a little bit, right, and say, act up. That's not how you're supposed to act. Or an approach could be, and this is the approach that Paul's trying to use with his church, to our children, because mom and dad love you. Because mom and dad are patient with you. We don't expect perfection. We're patient. We forgive you. Because we're supportive of your dreams. Because we comfort you when you're sad. Because we give you food and clothes. And because now live in a way that's going to bring us joy. That's the conversation Paul's having with this church. He's reasoning with them. And he's going after their heart because you've been encouraged in Christ, because you've been loved in Christ, because of all of these things, now do. Here's what Paul knows. Unity begins in the mind or the heart. He doesn't tell them, Hey, you need to start talking. Make sure you talk nice to one another. Make sure you act like this. No, here's what he's going to say. He's going to go after the heart because of what Christ has done, because the Holy Spirit's come, because it's changed you. Now we're going to do some things, but he starts with the heart because unity always begins in the heart, begins in the mind. This book is about right thinking. So he goes on, complete my joy by being of that same mind. Those, because of all those, because those things that Christ has done for you now, be of that same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Because of all these things that Christ has done for you, here's what he'll say, have that same frame of mind. What mind? The mind of Christ, a gospel-centered mind. See, Paul goes after the heart from the very beginning, and he's going after the heart with the idea of the gospel. See, church, everything is a gospel issue. The gospel's not just for new people to come to Christ. The gospel's for us to continue walking in Christ. Because God did this for you, now you do this. That's the gospel. It's not do these things so that God will love you. No, because now do. Everything is a gospel issue, which is why Hill City, that we focus on the gospel unapologetically every single week. We sing it. Our flow, we rehearse it. Every week we preach about it here. We end by doing communion together. Every issue is a gospel issue because here's the reality. When we have an accurate view of who God is, this holy, ferociously holy God, when we have an accurate view of him and then we see ourselves for who we are, as sinners, and we see that we're actually all in the same boat, we're, like there's not a bad sinner and not so bad sinner, like we're all there. When we see, when we get a reality of who God is, and we see, see who each other are and who I am, we have this desperate need of God, and that's what Paul's going after there. He's going after the heart to say it's a gospel issue. We need Christ, all of us together. 
Like the one here that really messed up last night, you don't need Jesus more than I do. Everything's a gospel issue. Like no one, it, it, so if we can get this accurate picture of, of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross and his love, like no one looks at the cross and says, I'm a pretty good person. No one. We look at the cross and say, thank you, God, because that could have been me. And if unity is going to come in a church and if unity is going to stay in a church, we all have to be, like Paul says, of that same mind, that same frame of mind to say we all together are near the gospel. You need it just as bad as I do. You have your junk, I have mine. It may be different, but we all need it together. And that's the thing that starts to bring us together, and that's where Paul starts. Because now do. Everything's a gospel issue. So Paul writes to this church to warn them because he sees how easy it can fall apart. And he's going to go after their hearts because what brings us together is not external, it is internal. Unity begins in the mind. So he's telling them, you have the Holy Spirit that bonds you together. You have Jesus because he's done all this, because now the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, now be unified. Because unity begins in the mind, begins in the heart. We're not held together by something external. We're held together by something internal, the Holy Spirit and the love of Christ. Give me an example of this. I was trying to think of an illustration to help our kids out. And we had some friends over to our house Friday night um, to hang out, and one of, their, one of the little boys that came brought something and left it at my house, and I saw it, and I was like, that's going to work perfect. So... Didn't think I'd bring a brown bag to church, did you? All right. So, kids, inside this bag are a bunch of these little blocks. Okay? And, and here's what I want us to, to learn, kids, is that if what holds us together is external or on the outside, meaning this bag, we're kind of in trouble. So, kids, if I take this bag of blocks and I dump them out of my hand, what's going to happen? Kids, that was a question. Parents, nudge your kids. Wake them up. Kids, let me try it again. If I take this bag of blocks and I dump them out of my hand, what's going to happen? Are, gonna, are they going to go all over the place, aren't they? Let's, fi let's find out. Right? Why did they do that? Because the thing that holds them together is external. There's nothing here that's holding them together besides this bag. So you remove the bag, they fall apart. Now, Sorry, Scott, you're going to turn an ankle up here leading worship after you're done. Um, so, kids, I had a little boy come to my house Friday, and he left these at my house. Now, we had our kids here this morning um, that were here for babysitting while their parents in the marriage conference. I called these magna blocks, and they looked at me like I was an idiot. Kids, what are these called? <laughs> okay, see... Someone told me magna tiles. Are they magna tiles or are they magna blocks? Are there two different brands? They're in competition. Ah, there we go. Okay. Well, these are magna blocks, right? And so here's the thing about these is they're little magnets, and so they're held together by magnets here. So I take these magnets and put them in this bag. Okay? 
So this bag is holding them right now, but here's the cool thing about these, is what holds them together is not external, the bag, it's internal. So kids, what happens when I dump these blocks in my hand? They're going to stay together if I catch them, right? Because what holds them together is internal, not external. Asher, you can get these when you're done. He didn't know I had these until I pulled them out today. Why do, why do I show us that? Because this is what Paul's trying to say. He's saying because... You have Christ because you have the Spirit, because you have love. Now unify. Here's the reality, church. If we unify around something external, then division is ready to happen. Like if we, if we unify around a specific leader, what happens when that leader's gone? <laughs> Falls apart. It's external. If we unify around a style of music, if we unify around a location, which ain't going to happen, we move every other week, it seems like. If we unify around a certain time, certain service, if we unify around anything external, then division is ready to happen because what holds us together is external. All I have to do is take that away and we fall apart. And he's going to say what brings us together, what unifies us is internal participation in the Spirit. That we as Christians are committed to Christ. We have this love of Christ, this internal love for Christ. We've been empowered by the Holy Spirit that's internal. And that's what's going to bring us together. Because unity begins in the mind. It's not external. It's internal. Disunity begins in the mind, in the heart. Like, disunity doesn't happen because I talk about someone behind their back. Disunity doesn't happen because I get grumpy about the college students that they come and they don't give any money and, if, and they take up so much space. If they, <laughs> I love you guys. I was just, just an example. Disunity doesn't start there. You know where disunity starts? Right here when I first get that thought. <sighs> college students. The unity begins in the mind. All it takes for disunity to come is one little seed of bitterness to enter into your heart. That's all it takes. Like churches don't tend to break apart off over some big doctrinal issue. I mean, every once in a while it does. Churches tend to break apart because little seeds of bitterness come in. And if you really get down to it, it's like, really? That? Unity is internal. It's not external. And a little seed, a little drop of bitterness can spread and can disunify. You guys know that I love coffee, and I'm pretty particular about my coffee. I drink brick-and-mortar coffee local here. Um, I apologize for the coffee that we have to serve out there because it's Starbucks, and we can't get around it. We have, they have a contract anyway. So at our house this past week, we had a... a some leftover sinless pastry coffee, you know, that I think it's a decaf that some company makes. And, you know, it's not bad if you want decaf coffee. 
And so I had, I just purchased a new bag of, of brick and mortar. I mean, this is fresh roasted Kenyan, straight from Africa, and just great coffee. And so I get my, I get my Chemex out, I grind my beans, and, and I didn't really realize it, but there was probably like three or four beans left over of sinless pastry when I ground my beans of brick and mortar. And I can take sinless pastry like, you know, all at once, like it's supposed to be. But I, I made this, I made this coffee, and I, you know, if you, Sorry, I'm getting a little too detailed here, but you guys can tell I like this stuff. Like, as you're making this stuff, you can smell it, and you're starting to get these, and I'm like, it's like something's off, and I hadn't put it together yet. Something's off here, and I drink it, and it's just like repulsive, repulsive, because try it. Like, three beans of sinless pastry in a cup of, it just, it just ruins the whole mat, the whole thing, and I, I dumped it out. I did. I dumped it out. I made a new, new batch. Call me, wait, first world problem, I'm sorry. Uh, disunity, same thing. All it takes to bring disunity into Hill City Church is one seed of bitterness in one person. That's all it takes. And Paul knows that, and that's why he's addressing this church. Hill City is young as we are, and as passionate as we are, and as driven as much as we want to do, the thing that will cause us to be ineffective is allowing little seeds of disunity to come in. Uh, now, now here, that doesn't mean that we have to be all, like all kumbaya and we just love each other and we can, nev- we can never express any negative emotion. We, can, we just have to be okay. That, that, that doesn't mean that. As a matter of fact, if we try to live like that, that's when disunity will come in. Like we push and we pull and we challenge like, if you would sit in with Brad and I as we kind of work through things, you would think, like, dude, these guys are mad at each other. No, we're not. We push and we pull and we challenge. Why do you think that way? Take our ministry team circle, about 12 people. We take an idea and we throw it out and, and we wrestle with it and we push and pull at each other. That's not disunity. That's saying, no, we're working to be the best we can be. But here's what we learned. So Emily and I led this marriage conference a couple weeks ago, and my wife is very smart, a lot smarter than I am. So she read some research, a big research book on marriage, and came across this, um, this, this thing called the Zagarnik effect. And some of you couples that were with us know about this. Uh, so here's the idea. Of the, so this lady named Zagarnik, that's her last name, was doing some research, and she was at a, a nice restaurant watching servers wait table staff, watch how they work. And so this, she would watch this server who would go maybe a table of like six people here. And this server would take a complex order and not write it down, just remember it. You know, I want uh, ribeye steak, medium rare with potatoes, because you hold the, the, you know, that type of order. And they would memorize it because they're professional wait staff. And they would go back to the kitchen and they would give the order. And then while the order's cooking, they would bring the order out, and then that server could then put each dish in front of the person that ordered it. So, you know, that's, what, a time of 20 minutes that goes by there. But here's what this researcher learned, is once they put in the order, and then once they delivered the order to the food, if that researcher would talk to that server maybe a minute afterwards, you know what would happen? They couldn't think of the order. They just couldn't do it. Here's what this researcher came to, to learn. Husbands, wives, I hope you're listening to this. 
until something is fully processed, an idea, a thought, an emotion, until it's fully processed, it is never let go of. It's held on. So for this server, once he took the order, delivered to the kitchen, that order, is, it's not processed yet. It's not finished. It's still on hold. So it's in his memory. Now, as soon as he takes that food, delivers it to the table, that order is processed. He's finished, and it goes out of his working memory. It's the Zagarnik effect. You know, you're like, what does that have to do with anything? Here's how it works. Let's take a marriage. If a wife doesn't tell negative emotions, doesn't, doesn't share, here's what you're doing and here's how it's bothering me, to her husband, those emotions will stay in her working memory for years and we can be 10 or 12 years down, and the husband will do something, and she may not even realize, but subconsciously it ties back to this thing that happened 10 or 12 years ago that she never shared, and we have this huge issue, the Zagarnik effect. Now, the Zagarnik effect, effect says if early on in her marriage, if she would have said, hey, when you do this, here's how it makes me feel, and fully process that, then that's out of her working memory, and she can move forward, and that's gone. That's where disunity, same thing with unity and disunity. We must process negative emotions. So, so unity does not mean I can't tell you, hey, it bothered me when you did this. As a matter of fact, unity depends on you doing that. See, I don't want to give the illusion that to, to be unified means we just have to just deal with anything and not ever express. No, as a matter of fact, we have to express negative emotions and negative thoughts or else those things will build up and we will have seeds of bitterness that come out and we end up fighting over some little issue that's re it's really not about the issue. It's about something deeper. So we must express negative emotions. We must express concerns or they stay in our working memory. Because unity, it grows on the inside, not on the outside. So he'll say, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So remember, he's going to say, because Christ did all these, have the same mind Right, This mind of Christ, this gospel-centered mind, and now he's going to flesh it out. Okay, here's what it looks like to have that same mind, the mind of Christ. Do nothing from self-ambition or conceit. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Here's what he's saying. The key to unity, lay down your life. Gospel-centered mind. When I do marriages, um, and I've done several of years in here, you'll know the first very first week of counseling, and I'll say it at your ceremony, I'll tell them, I know the secret to marriage. The secret to marriage is laying down your life for the sake of your spouse, a gospel-centered marriage. And here's what he's going to tell us. The key to unity in a church is laying down our life for others. Count others as more significant than yourselves. And we have a lot of business leaders here, like, it's not just churches that this applies to. Families, marriages, work environments. We process negative information. We share negative information, negative concerns, and then we lay down our life and we serve one another. That's the key to unity. 
So he says, this, to flesh out what it means by a gospel-centered mind, what it means to have this same mind, which I love that Paul gives us something to hold our hands to. What do I do? What's that look like? Here we go. Count others as more significant than yourselves. Here's what it'll tell us. Pride is our greatest enemy and humility our greatest friend. If we want to have a unified church, family, business. Any of you guys familiar with, uh, maybe business leaders, familiar with Dale Carnegie? Anyone? Wrote a book called How to Win Friends and Influence, Influence People. Great book. A lot of leadership um, principles in there. Uh, so wrote this book, uh, basically how to influence people in, in business and, and how to have great relationships, and it carries over to life. And here's one of his top principles in this book. His principle is become genuinely interested in other people. That's one of his top principles for business leaders. If you want to have a successful business and to be strategic and accomplish a lot of things, here's his principle, be genuinely interested in other people, which is so countercultural because our normal thinking, hey, if I want to have a great business, if I want to be a great leader, I got to be about me. Like look out for number one and I got to get myself ahead and Dale Carnegie's going to say, as a matter of fact, it's opposite. He's going to kind of agree with Jesus here. And say, if you want to get ahead, be genuinely interested in other people. Here's his law that he tells himself when he meets someone. Here's his law. He says, always make the other person feel important. And that's what he would credit to him, being successful in business and life. And that's what Paul's telling them. Don't look to your interest. Look to the interest of others. So don't let selfish ambition come in, you know, jockeying to get myself ahead. Trying to get myself in a position where other people see me so I can get, no, he's going to say, make others more significant. As a matter of fact, instead of you taking the credit, give the credit somewhere else. Think of others more highly as yourself. Business leaders, what if you became ambitious? Look, grow a great business. Be driven, be competitive, crush the competition. I'm all for that. But what if as you do this, you say, my goal in, in building this great business is not just to get a bigger boat. What if your goal is to say, how can I meet the needs of other people? How can I have a, how can I have a business where employees love to come to work? How can I take care of their families better than most other companies do? How can I treat my customers even better? How can I bless those around me? And you know what's going to happen if you do that, business leaders? You're going to have more influence and be more successful. So this, this plea to look to the interest of others isn't some like self-sacrifice, like woe is me. He's actually going to say, hey, for your joy, for your long-term joy, think of others higher than yourself because he knows they'll get ahead. So he's going to address unity here in a corporate nature, but here's what we also must know is unity is not just a corporate issue, it's also on a personal issue. Like as believers, we have two options. One option is I rebel against what the Spirit would lead me to do, and I put me as number one, and I got to get myself ahead. That's one option. The second option is I'm in touch with the Spirit, and I say, how do I serve, and how do I treat others as more significant? So it's a corporate issue, but unity is very much a personal issue. 
am I going to rebel against the God that sent his son to die for me? Because here's the reality. Jesus counted us as more significant than himself. He laid down his life. We'll get to that next week as we go on in Ephesians chapter 2. Hill City Church, could there be seeds of disunity already forming? And where, where are they forming? In your minds. And here's the reality. None of us may know they're starting to form, but could they be there? Well, what's that look like? Here, here's a seed of disunity. I like it when Brad preaches better than Daniel. Or I like it when Daniel preaches better than Brad. That's a thought, and that's a seed. I wish Scott wouldn't do so many rock songs. Or I wish Scott wouldn't have that bluegrass stuff like he did last week. It's a seed. I wish my city group leader didn't. We're looking around at other people. I don't, I don't like that he has a really nice car. Like doesn't, Jesus should, should, you know, if he's going to follow Jesus, he should like live in poverty. Or I don't like it that he drinks beer and goes to the bar and hang out with his friends. Or I don't like it that he refrains and wears a suit and tie to church. Whatever it is. Those are seeds. They're thoughts. But unity or disunity grows on the inside. That's why this is a book about right thinking. Is there someone you'd like to change, regulate, control? Well, good. Start with yourself. Start with your thinking. As we taught this Zagarnik effect thing to our married couples, here's, here's, what, uh, here's what the research will tell you. In order to, as you process information, in order to kind of fight against the idea of making your spouse kind of an enemy, which you're like, well, that would never happen. Colossians like an enemy, honey, that would never happen to us. Like, it happens all the time. Like when we don't process negative information, in little ways our spouse starts to become selfish. And we start viewing them as selfish, and then we view them as against us. Happens in tons and tons of marriages. Happens in our, happened in our marriage to a certain extent. So these seeds grow. If we're going to combat, here's what they say. If you're going to combat against that, we must have five positive thoughts to one negative thought. That's the ratio to combat against bitterness growing up in a marriage. We taught our spouses that. So wives, you see your husband and he leaves the towel on the floor again. Express that negative emotion to him in a healthy way, please. And then here's what the research would say. Think of five things that he does well. At least he takes a shower. There's one. <laughs> like, even if you have to make a stretch for it, right? Think of five things he does well to combat that negative thought. Let's take that to unity. Like, look, look here's the deal. We're never going to do things to please every one of you. Everything we do doesn't please me. And I'm okay with saying, hey, how do we do this better? But the problem is when it becomes personal about that person. Well, the reason Scott does that music is he just wants it to be all about him. Negative thought. And then they would say to balance that, what are five thoughts we can build him up with? That's how you fight against it. So Paul writes this church. He doesn't threaten them. He doesn't threaten them with hell. 
He doesn't threaten them with damnation. He doesn't, he doesn't bring all those things in. Here's what he's trying to do. He's trying to turn their affection to Christ. Because you've been loved, that's Christ. Because you've been forgiven, because you have the Spirit, he's trying to turn their affection to Christ, and he'll go on in chapter 2 and do that more. We'll look at next week. Let's get to application, because I, I don't want my kid, our kids to be doing cartwheels in the aisles here. Try not to go too long today. Hill City, individually, do you have an affection for Jesus that pulls you to unity? Unity in your family, unity in your marriage, in your workplace, in your church. Does, does unity pull you because of your affection for Jesus, or is your unity external? College students, are you letting your, are, is your affection pulling for your roommate because of your relationship with Christ? Yeah, I know they have issues, but guess what? So do you. Husbands and wives, your affections, is unity coming to your marriage because of your affection for Christ? Because Jesus has done, because Jesus laid down his life for me, I will lay down my life for my spouse. Is that happening? Unity grows on the inside. Hill City Church, what relationship is in danger of disunity right now in your life? Like some of you, you know it. The faith's just popped in your head. What relationship is in danger of disunity? It begins with right thinking because unity grows on the inside. Start challenging your thought life about that person and express the negative emotions you need to express. So Hill City, we're a young church. Exciting things are happening. We're seeing people baptized. We're, we're seeing growth happen. But disunity is always lurking. So as we take communion together, as we receive communion together, may we be especially aware today of the corporate nature of communion. We come together to the cup that unites us. Because every single one of us are in need of the mercy of God extended to us. Every single one. So we come not as good sinners and bad sinners and, and good Christians. No, we come as people in need of mercy to the same cup. The blood of Jesus. We come as equals. And may that truth that we come as equals in need of a Savior, may that truth be the internal force that unites us together and causes us to treat others as more significant than ourselves. Let's pray together, and we will come up and receive communion. God, we thank you for um, the cross, your mercy extended to us on the cross. I pray as Paul directed us this morning that we would start with the gospel because you have loved us. Help us to better understand that, what it means for us. Because people that haven't received grace cannot extend grace, so may we receive grace from you. And then may that internal motivation of grace and the empower of the Spirit, may that lead us to a unified church, unified marriage, unified families, businesses. God, I pray specifically about seeds of bitterness in our church. 
I pray that those, pray that those seeds would be dealt with. They'd be expressed, emotions expressed, and then right thinking would come in. May you protect us as a young church. We may, may you protect us from disunity. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.